What's up, everybody? Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. We're in for a special treat today, guys. So at least in California, uh, it's pretty easy to obtain cannabis. The growing and, and procurement of it is still a little shady. And as a result, uh, we still have people that are shrouded in, in the shadows, right? They don't really want to come out all the time. Uh, and so we have a special treat today. We have a grower, a long-term grower, somebody who's been in the industry for 30 years, right? Doing this before anybody did it. Really a, a legend, if I, if I will, here. And uh, he was on a program you might have heard of called 60 Minutes about 20 years ago. And he was in the shadows, right? He they changed his voice, all of that. And it's, uh, it's really a story of how far we have come here uh, that we're sort of bringing light to this industry, right? And I'm sure this isn't his first time on camera since 60 Minutes, uh, but welcome very much. Ken Morrow, how are you? Very good, thank you very much for Thanks having for me. Being it's here. really an awesome day. Yeah, so 30 years. 30 years in the cannabis world is a lot. 35, but yeah, who's counting at this point? <laughs> what about this industry, about this plant, still gets you excited every day? Oh, every day, every day I learn something new. I have got a lot of people that paved the way for me, Robert Connell Clark, David Watson, you know, and now we're getting into the real, real, real science of the International Cannabinoid Research Society. Uh, many other people, there's, there's groundbreaking research done every day on this thing. So every day I wake up, I get a text or something from somewhere in the world that, that fascinates me about the compounds mm. that are associated with this plant. Mm -hmm. And you've started to write about it, right? So your your newest book, your first book, right? Your first, first book, book first had come book. out last week. Yep. And tell us a little bit how this got started. I mean, why, why write this book? Uh, well, a lot of the books that are that are written are, are written by authors, and I'm kind of the first person that really, really did this job for an extended period of time, and wrote that book from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So I've been a contributing writer for High Times Magazine for 20 years. I also write for a magazine called Cannabis Business yep. Times, but so I've I've been writing and, and and doing media for a very long time. But uh, Green Candy Press was was very nice and offered me a publishing deal. So I, I took it, wrote the book, took seven years to edit, re-edit, get all the photos, seven captions, years. everything else, yeah. Wow, and is that typical for a cannabis book? I mean, absolutely how long not, it, yeah. absolutely not, no, 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 no. But, you know, I, I did a multitude of other things, you know, um, groundbreaking research and terpenoid, cannabinoid isolation, stuff like that, so consider. Unpack that a little bit. What, what do you mean when you say? Yeah, describe that a little bit. Well, a lot of people, when they think of cannabis, they just look at the raw flower, the the, the actual bud, if you will. Um, you know, consider the active ingredients, uh, THC or THCA or CBD or CBD, uh, THC, be it tetrahydrocannabinol or CBD cannabidiol. Mm -hmm. um, either one of those, I mean, you know, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of components that are that, that make up what you see as, as cannabis. So. Mm -hmm. In the future, pharmaceutical companies, uh, International Cannabinoid Research Society, um, Doc, uh, uh, Lilly, Pfizer, Roach, Bayer, all these people have vested interest in doing research in cannabis and cannabis components, but they don't want marijuana. They don't want hashish, if you know it, or if you will. Um, they, they, they want separated pharmaceutical grade compounds. Mm. So literally, if you can take a ton of marijuana, you can separate it into three, four, five hundred different components. Mm -hmm. So, And then you are identifying how those individual components could be applicable in, in other ways, correct? Or you're, you're strengthening 
those. T talk a little bit more about when you identify them, then what, what do you do with them? Well, right now I'm going to great lengths to I even identify them. I, uh, mm -hmm. Basic cannabis uh, uh, testing facilities in, you know, in, in the United States currently, they can give you maybe up to a 30 terpene profile or something. Um, terpenes are the essential oils that are responsible for the flavor and smell of mm -hmm. cannabis or, mm -hmm. or many other plants yep. so, um, and oranges and many other things. So even trying to quantify how many terpenoids are in some of my specimens. Uh, I go to great lengths. I work with a French fragrance manufacturer. I work with a chemical engineering firm in England that literally on site has one of the most sophisticated piece of analytical equipment that exists. Mm -hmm. and, and so I can't even give 100% quantitative analysis of some of my compounds. So uh, in the future, mm, those companies that I mentioned, they don't want to buy marijuana, they don't want to buy, you know, refined hashish, if you will. They want to buy pharmaceutical grade components mm -hmm. so they can do clinical trials. So myself, I'm just making the pharmaceutical grade components and pre-staging that for when it's either rescheduled or, or however they choose to deal with it, which allows uh, research clinical trials, human trials, everything else. Mm -hmm. Myself, I'm obviously not qualified to do that, so I'm pre-staging the products for them. Got it. And how are you so certain that there will eventually be a market there? I mean, have you done, have you had a lot of conversations with pharmaceutical companies, or mm. how do you know that's mm, the demand is there? No, it's just, uh, just uh, think ahead. Um, if, um, you know, if, if, if marijuana mm, aids and uh, uh, is, is considered a medicine, I look at what, what is aiding those people and what components are the medicine. Maybe there's 600 chemicals that help, say, epilepsy. I mean, uh, uh, in cannabis, but only two help epilepsy. Well, that means the rest of them can help somebody else. So mm -hmm. you don't have to give a whole plant extract to somebody. You can actually give them isolated compounds. So to isolate the compounds and do that work before you know anybody else is doing it, and, and make separated, isolated compounds, they're going to research those things. But and do you envision that the delivery system for those compounds is eventually a pill form? Or, yeah, I mean, what, what, what's sort of your vision here? Are we gonna have a spread of cannabinoid pharmaceuticals in, in Walgreens, et cetera? You know, what was uh, yeah, that? I, I, I do, I think there'll be wellness products, preventative products and things that will re, uh, contain cannabinoids and terpenoids in certain combinations. Um, I can hypothesize certain things because, you know, uh, again, going back to 60 Minutes, there was a really incredibly uh, fascinating privately funded um, doctor in I believe the Los Angeles area and they had gotten a certain kind of brain uh, tumor that was very, very rapidly growing and they injected, uh, I believe, um, I can't really think of... Uh, no worries. Yeah, a very uh, harsh uh, a virus into that, that tumor and figured out that it had a shell that prevented the white blood cells from attacking that tumor. And, uh, and once, once they compromised that outer shell, the white blood cells were able, able to go in and strategically dismantle that tumor and created a dead space. So. I'm thinking to myself, you know, based on cancer research that I've seen, hypothetically, that maybe a, a combination of cannabinoids and terpenoids could be either used as a topical or an injectable or mm -hmm. something like that into tumors and mm -hmm. things like that, which mm -hmm. in turn would compromise possibly the outer 
a protective shell and allow the white blood cells to do what they do. And, and what do you think the progression looks like? Is it officially going to be like recommended from your doctor? You have a prescription for these things? Are we talking about a little more over-the-counter type stuff to begin with? You know, where, where does, how does the progression happen? I, guess? I, I think there's, there, there's going to be both. There's going to be certain compounds that are recommended or prescribed by your doctor, but there will also be wellness products. A uh, certain, se certain segment of the population currently gets marijuana leaves and juices them, and they consume... Mm, low levels of cannabinoids, but that cannabinoid is in a form of THC acid. So it doesn't really, mm, it's not decarboxylated, it's not activated, it's not going to give you a euphoric effect. Mm, mm. So you can eat massive, massive amounts of it, and therefore possibly that would be pres prescribed to, say, a pediatric cancer patient mm. or something like that, someone that you don't want to attribute a, a, a euphoric effect too. Yep. So you've got two compounds, be it the THC and the THCA, and the same thing again with the cannabidiol. So maybe someone gets the CBDA and the THCA and in a form of a wellness product, a preventative, if got you it. will. You know, And maybe there's a, a little bit of aspirin in there and it's just a, a like a multivitamin that you take every day mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. in combination with stuff that'll be prescribed by doctors that is for chemotherapy for uh, you know, the whole host of other ailments that are mm -hmm. attributed to cannabis. So I think we're talking about a whole sector of, of potential patients that maybe aren't familiar with cannabis and don't consume cannabis regularly, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the current patients that use cannabis, what's your feeling? Do they, do they like sort of the traditional, you know, do they, do they want to have an edible or, or a smokable and feel that euphoric feeling? Or would they prefer just to get the medical benefits? Uh, I run into both. You run into both. I run into both. I run into a certain sub segment of the population that, that wants a recreational yeah. um, experience, if you will. Yeah. But a certain seg segment of the population only wants a medical experience as well. Yeah. And some of those products you mentioned are going to be on, you know, he said Thrifty, Rite Aid, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. Those products will be on the shelf and they won't have a marijuana leaf on them. They won't say, you know, in the active ingredients, sure. it'll say, you know, cannabinoid, uh, tetrahydro, this, that, and the other thing, but it won't have, you know, a big fancy marijuana leaf on it. And, yeah. you know, those wellness products will be consumed by the general public continuously and not really knowing. I think it's really a testament to, to how far we've, we've come, right, in, mm -hmm. in that way. And I think you know this better than most. I mean, we talked about 60 Minutes 20 years ago. I mean, it, you were taking real, like, penitentiary chances here, right? I mean, you had to be shrouded in... in darkness and your voice was disguised. I mean, what has changed so drastically? You know, why, why do you feel so much more comfortable? Today? Uh, well, laws are lax, uh, you know, uh, or should I say not lax, but more reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still illegal to grow large-scale production in yeah. the state of California. There's very few states that you can, and in, in those states that you can, it must be regulated, you must be licensed, you must be you have a background check, everything else. Yeah. So. You know, and I do work in multiple states. I do pass all those background checks and everything else. So, um. got it. Yeah, uh, let's talk about background checks for a little bit. Mm -hmm. You've been kind enough to to talk of, to offer to talk a little bit about your running with the law, mm -hmm. right? And that's something fascinating, right? That I I have like images of an action movie of someone you know busting down your door and raiding the place. I mean, is that how it went down? I mean, it took kind of. Talk a little bit. We're talking about 92, 93, 93. here? 93. OK. Um, actually, it was very professional. I had come back from an out-of-state trip, and my neighbor approached me and said that there was people in black knocking on my door. And one of them was behind my house with my house under surveillance. So I just walked up to the individual and asked him if you know I could help them. Yeah. And 
said that they had my house under surveillance and they were quite taken aback that someone would approach him in that way. And so from there, it just was a professional thing. You know, can we search your house? I said, yes, if you have a search warrant. And mm -hmm. They didn't have a search warrant. So I sat outside the house for five hours till they got one. And when they got one, they came to me and said they were going to cut holes in the wall to get to the uh, grow or suspected grow, if you will. And knowing that they were going to cut through a main wall with uh, major power lines. And I've got all this on video, which is kind of funny to reflect back on. And so in the end, I opened it up for him, showed him where it was and things and stuff. And got there, it. You, there you go from there. But there was no, never a gun drawn or a four letter word or anything like that. Interesting. So unfortunately, you know, but the. Well, fortunately, probably. Mm, yeah. yeah. But the, the fascinating thing was they, you know, always like to play tag. So, I mean, I'm self-taught. I, I in 1993, there was no books on how to grow marijuana aeroponically or this, that, and the other thing. It was just, you know, uh, a culmination of a lifelong fascination. So when they came to me and said, hey, you know, the, the, the next guy up the chain from you, if you can tell on whoever told you how to or showed you how to do this, if you can tell on them, you can make things easier for yourself. Right. So yeah. to laugh at him and explain, well, I really don't know that said such person you're referring yeah. to. Yeah. And even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. And they were like, well, you've never been arrested before. I'm like, no, I'm just educated, you know. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, no, we're, we're, we're not going to have that discussion and let's go. Got it. And so you go to trial, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or what are, what are the official charges that are, that are brought uh, in? Cultivation year? and possession for sale. Um, okay. It was uh, in early 93 when they still had forfeiture seizure laws where they could come in and seize everything that you had and everything that they wanted. And in the end, you had to prove where you got it from, mm. which is not the case now. Interesting. So Very yeah, it was a, a pretty hardcore little lesson, you know, but from that I hired good. And was there a quantity stated along with those charges or? Mm, 200 plants 200 and a bunch plants. of other stuff. Got it. And, but, yeah. you know, there was no medical laws, so it, it was what it was. Fel yeah. Felony cultivation, possession for sale. And when they talk about, when they first present your charges to you, does it come with a projected sentence? You know, do they try to scare you into pleading guilty or you were, you were, prepared to do that regardless. Well, there's always that, but I knew that I had a private hired attorney on it their way, but they uh, had provided me with a court-appointed attorney, and a gentleman came in, and, and I'm all shackled and chained like a criminal for growing a plant, and, and, and he looks at this paperwork, and he looks at me, and he looks at the paperwork, and he's like, hmm. He's like, did you do this? And I'm like, well, allegedly. And he's like, hmm. He's like, I used to spend my time on a camp team. You know what a camp team is? And I'm like, yeah, I know what a camp team is. Camp is a campaign against marijuana planting, uh, early eradication um, uh, program during the mid, late 80s, early 90s. Okay. So yes, so the fact that he repelled out of helicopters and tore down marijuana plants showed me that that wasn't someone Heat that- maps, I, they're looking at, yeah. Well, yeah, not back then, but uh, okay. you know, just the fact that he participated in those actions let me know that I didn't want him on my defense team. Yeah. That's, that, that's for sure. And that's the last time I ever seen him, but you know, um, yeah, they, they always start with like, don't make us work and make a sign, you know, just, just plead guilty and we'll call it a day. Right. But I'd never been in trouble before and never have been since. And, and, and 20 years later, I'm proven to be right. I knew I was right. I knew they were wrong from the beginning. I hired, ex I hired Ed Rosenthal as an yep. expert witness. Yep. I hired uh, a meteorologist. I mean, the way they got their information and the way they built their case was a lie. But I was going to do my best to prove it. But that was going to be very, very difficult. But, but if there is no medical at the time, no. right? And no. 
growing marijuana as a felony. Mm -hmm. What what was your case? I mean, how did you mm -hmm. argue against? They they claimed that they came to the house and just arbitrarily and smelled it, which is untrue. They, uh, had, they had an informant, uh -huh. and that's how they knew that there was marijuana in the house. Yep. There, there was no smell. There was no this, that, and the other thing. So, and you know who the informant is today? Oh, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I'm about to send him a book. <laughs> Uh, so, who, I mean, you don't have to name him, but, you know, I mean, what, what sort of relationship did you have? Uh, let's see, I was uh, racing, road racing motorcycles, uh, Grand Prix motorcycles, and okay. um, he was, one of, uh, by default, he ended up buying a motorcycle shop that I uh, raced for and was uh -huh. a sponsor, uh -huh. and did not really mm, appreciate the fact that I was a cannabis consumer and could actually uh, secede in a professional sport and wow. thought that maybe I would be a bad role model, so to speak. Got it. A bad role model for the sport? Uh, for, for children. For children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, did you ever say to them that like maybe you're not a role model? Or that, mm, not... Never really engaged in that kind of behavior or conversation with them. Got it. Okay. So how, how long does the case last? Six months. And you're in jail for six months, or you were out on bail? No, I was out on bail. Got it. Mm -hmm. And what do they set your bail at? Is it like outrageous? Mm -hmm. or? In the 50000 Okay. Okay. But that's quite a bit of money in 1992, mm, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 My parents were very uh, gracious and put up their house for collateral and wow. stuff and things. So it was, yeah, it was not a little ordeal. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Fascinating. And then, and what's the outcome of the case? What are they... What eventually happens? Uh, in the end, all they could really do is they gave me six months and three years probation. Um, but I really didn't belong in their jail, and the people that ran the jail figured this out pretty quick. So they put me out on something called sheriff's parole, which means that you had to be home by eight o'clock and stuff and things. Curfew. And, you know, uh, avoid comp or uh, avoid uh, contact with law enforcement. This, that, and the other thing. Not in great engage in any illegal behavior or consume cannabis and drug testing three times a week and a whole bunch of stuff like that. But wow. that that turned into like they kicked me out early, so I only really ended up doing uh, six months. Six months. I mean, I, excuse me, six weeks. Oh, you only did six weeks. I did six weeks, but I, I, I but uh, I'm very proud to say that I harvested my first crop of marijuana, 364 days from the day that I was arrested. Uh huh. <clears throat> the uh, marijuana cultivation equipment that they had seized from me, I got back and utilized that equipment for the 60-minute interview. Wow. So I did my best to. Hmm, they might have won the battle, but I won the war. Yeah. So, you know. I have to step back only because I'm fascinated by this. I mean, uh, clearly you're a longtime consumer of cannabis, right? And a grower and mm -hmm. not someone that belongs in jail. Mm -hmm. And what is what is that six weeks? I mean, what is that first night in jail like? I mean, are you scared out of your mind? Or? No, it was awesome. <clears throat> so it was in the North Bay. Uh, and, you know, at that time I had, you know, long hair and things and walked into the, to, to, you know, and they said, look, you're staying in that room. And I, I seen a, 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 a black gentleman kind of shake his head like, oh, no, I've got a meth head in my room. <laughs> and I kind of laughed. And so that, that night when the door closed, it was like, so what are you in here for? It's like marijuana cultivation. And he's like, really? And he's like, tell me about that. And we stayed up all night just cracking up, laughing our asses And off. what was he in for? Um, I don't even know. Uh, uh, some, some, some petty, uh, you know, drug yeah. charge or something yeah, like yeah. that. But it ends up, he is a local musician named Little Bruce. What's up, Little Bruce? Uh, Shout out, Little uh, Bruce. Yeah, yeah, what's up? But he introduced me to uh, a very good friend of mine who's been a, now a friend for 20 years in the, also in the music industry, named Be Legit. 
cousin of E40, uh -huh, so local uh -huh. local Bay Area musicians nice. and things yeah. and stuff. And then I provided the photos for Bielich's album, The Hemp Museum, and uh, yeah, we've been friends for 20 years. I just spoke to him the other day, wishing wow. him a happy birthday and stuff. That's so, an incredible story. You know, so yeah, no, um, I really had no... So you get out of your six-week stint. My six-week stint. <laughs> right? And uh, for good behavior and mm. all that. And you're, then you're on sheriff curfew. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 8 p.m. Yeah. every night. And yeah. you're allowed to smoke cannabis or no? No. You can't smoke no, cannabis. No, 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 and you're being tested regularly. Mm -hmm, three times a week. So you... Three times a week. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you can't smoke cannabis, but you go right back at it and start a massive grow again. Because cons the consumption of cannabis was, has never and was never... What really fascinated me it was the cultivation of the plant the development of the plant the buds the the taxonomy the the, 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 the horticulture of the whole thing i grew up was born and raised in napa valley so where i played as a child is now opus one i've you know watched the uh, industry grow to what it is today and so you know but also lived in winters california and watched you know many other fruits and vegetables be produced yeah. so you know just agriculture in general fascinates me but going back to 12 years old when I first consumed cannabis, it was like, what do you mean people put their lives on the line for this? People die for this, people spend money for this, people, you know, this is a fascinating thing to me, the whole dynamic of it, more so than the consumption. So when I couldn't consume, I mean, did it bother me? It bothered me that hmm, Allah said that I couldn't consume. Yeah. But that, did Not it the actual consumption, it wasn't no, that important. No, 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 no. But you had just gotten in a whole heap of shit mm. for growing cannabis mm. in your house, right? Mm -hmm. So you get out and, by my estimation, dodged a real bullet there, right? I mean, you could have mm. you could have done a lot of time in prison. Correct, right? Correct. And, uh, I mean, what was the high end of the sentence, right? Mm. Did they ever try to scare you with a... With well, they a... started with 25 to life. Okay, so yeah. Right, so you, you just escaped that, or or did a little bit of time for that, and then I mean, what possesses you to go right back to it and start another grow? Uh, that's the question that that gets mm, me. Mm, it was because I was right and they were wrong. So the, at that time, I was doing mm, what I thought to to be right, and they came in and, and um, violated my 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 sanctity, if you will. Um, you know, I read high times and you know all the major grow books up till then so at that point they they created an activist is what they did so yeah, you know right. I uh, you know I you should have left me alone and I would have just done what I was doing and raced motorcycles and, and stayed to myself underground but you didn't that you outed me and you you, you forced me to be a criminal and in that uh, I'll, I'll go back and not only do what I was doing but I'll teach the world how to do what I was doing be it through 60 minutes be it through CNN be mm. it through you know, any other media outlet, be it yeah. for High Times Magazine. And I've taught hundreds of thousands of people how to grow since in a 20-year period, mm -hmm. hopefully more with the book. Yeah. But, you know, so who was right? Um, yeah, I would say you were on the right side of history mm -hmm. there, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Got lucky, put yeah. it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about 60 Minutes a little bit. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I just love the program. I did Watched too. it since I was a kid. Same here. I don't think that they there's any better news program mm -hmm. out there, right, mm -hmm. ever. I like the Vice stuff, by the way. That's, that's probably like the, the, Vice the stuff second too, you know, that I go to a lot. But yeah. Uh, but talk to me about how did that start? I mean, how do you get on 60 Minutes as, as a grower? Uh, well, I was fortunate enough in 1993 to hire Ed Rosenthal for... for to be your expert witness, yeah. Expert witness in my defense case. So, we, which, by the way, I have to stop for a second. Is like a 
really ridiculous image in my brain because we had Ed Rosenthal on this show and we had a lot of fun. I don't know if you had a chance to catch that episode, but me picturing Ed Rosenthal being cross-examined, uh, I know it's a long time ago, but it, it brings a smile to my face. He's a beautiful man. I yes. love him to death. Yeah. How can you not? How can you not? And, yeah. But I wish I had my whole trial on, on, on tape. I've got the whole bust on tape, but I wish I had the whole trial up because it was kind of amusing yeah, yeah yeah okay so you have Ed as your expert witness then you're hanging out with Ed well we you know he, he looked at the sophistication of the, the cultivation facility that I had and we became very good friends after that and have been for yeah since got so, it got you know, it um, and in that uh, yeah uh, one day he said that they were doing a um, filming uh, something for 60 minutes so I said I would you know he said I should come look and watch what they're doing so you know, I watched him, you know, producers do all the lighting and t sound and stuff, mm -hmm. and they probably spent half a day there, and then we went over to 1444 Market to Dennis Perone's place, and they did another half day there mm -hmm. and stuff. And okay. So then at the end of the day, we were dropping the producer off at the airport, and he kind of looked at me and said, well, what do you do? Are, yeah, you, know, you were are, just kind of part of the crew mm -hmm. all day. Yeah, yeah, it was just a shadow, yeah. and he yeah. was like, are you Ed's bodyguard? And I'm like, no, not Ed's bodyguard. <laughs> we're just friends, and... Um, yeah, so he asked me what I do, and I said, well, I'm the actual grower and stuff, uh -huh. and this is what I do. Because Ed wasn't actually growing, right? No, at that time. no, 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 yeah. no, no. Yeah, got and, it. And so, you know, they asked if they could come see plants, and I said, you know, this is Ed's interview. If Ed wants this to take place, ask permission from him, and if he says, okay, okay. So they called probably a week later and asked me if I knew who Morley Safer was, and I <laughs> felt, felt insulted and said, yes, I do know who Morley Safer is, and asked if they could come out and things and stuff so I put that together the grow was up in Sonoma County so I told them where to stay what to do and things yep. and stuff, and facilitated the whole thing and is it assumed from the beginning that your identity is going to be hidden that's always yeah, part of the deal yeah because yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was highly illegal yeah highly well illegal. well at that point I was out on um, three years probation so right right you know the, 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 the 25 to life was guaranteed to stick this time mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If I got caught doing that interview with Morley Safer in that garden at that time, they definitely would have and been pretty upset. Again, I have to ask why. I mean, that's such a risk, right? To it's educate, to educate, because to get a news media, uh, a large news industry sure. leader like that in there, you know, they'll ask questions, you know, uh, organized crime questions. You know, does a man in a black car come pick up the money every week? And to explain to them, no, that's not how this industry operates. It's a cottage industry. It's mom and pops. It's people on their property that have been doing this two and three generations. Mm -hmm. They they put their kids through school this way. It's just a way of life. It's a, it's, it's, it's a living. There is no organized crime or any of this other stuff. So to go in there and dispel these myths and show, you know, here, look, here, Morley Safer, you can hold this marijuana plant. It didn't hurt you. It didn't kill you. Just to educate the masses on the real, real, ram, you know, aspects of marijuana cultivation, consumption, everything else. It was mm -hmm. always about education. I even writing for High Times Magazine for 20 years. I didn't charge money for articles. I've got more covers, more centerfolds than most. And none of that was driven by money. Mm -hmm. You know, it was all to educate my industry the best I could. And, and, and any other media outlet that would, again, hopefully educate middle America. It wasn't really to convert the converted in California. It was to show middle America sure. and Everybody else, po yeah. political individuals. Yeah, I mean, we have a similar thesis on the show. We've very much been inspired by, by people like you, you know, in the sense that uh, we see cannabis as a professional business, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's lots of money to be made 
much thanks to uh, the new regulations that have gone, and we'll talk sure. about it in a minute. Uh, but there are real business people coming into this space today. And the way that we see it, our team, the people that I interface with on a daily basis, they do real shit with their lives. Correct. And then they just also smoke cannabis, right? Sure. Which is, at least in this region, at least in, in my circle, uh, the vast norm, right? And mm -hmm. so we see it as ourselves sort of to bring this movement along in the most professional way possible. And fortunately, because we're independent media, we have we have the ability to do that sort of honestly and feature people like yourself. But so you're on 60 Minutes, right? Uh, and what are the first few days after that show comes out like? Are you really nervous? I mean, are you concerned that you're actually gonna, gonna be caught again? No, very few people even though I had anything to do with that. A few close friends, they could tell by my mannerisms and my movement, the cadence of my speech yeah. and things that it was me. But yeah. other than that, yeah, it came and went, nobody cared. It nobody was, cared? Nobody cared. Well, that's cool. It worked out, right? <laughs> mm, yeah, but you know. What would have been a really good outcome for you there? What, what, were, you, what were you hoping for? That was the good outcome. That was the good outcome. That was the yeah. good outcome. <laughs> That's what I thought, yeah. As, as opposed to you're sitting in there, I consider it the ultimate doorbell. It was like, well, if the, <laughs> if the feds ever suspected what's going on in this, this facility, what better time to come in when you've got the producers and Morley Safer in the middle of this grow? You yeah. know, I mean, that was just fantastic. I mean, yeah. nobody came. So let's, let's flash forward a little bit here. Uh, you have this rich history and clearly all this knowledge you put into this book here, but you're also a little bit of a grow consultant mm -hmm. today, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you'll go to take me through that. I mean, who's a who's a customer of yours? You know, who who reaches out and, and asks? Us? Uh, it's a multitude from from the guy just trying to get into the industry today, wanting to know, you know, where do I go? What do I do? And what what kind of strategic advantage can I create uh -huh. to the largest grows? Uh, greenhouses in Israel for the Ministry of Health and things like that I've consulted for, or you know, large-scale facilities, you know, Arizona, Colorado, Washington State, just all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know, literally, literally clients just call, um, you know, and uh, donate a lot of my time to the up-and-coming people in the industry. I mean, I'm not gonna charge them money. Most times I'll just try to give them direction. Mm. Mm. Interesting. So. A lot of advice and then well at least in in the technology world that I exist in if you start giving people a lot of advice generally you'll get like maybe an advisory point or a little bit of equity or maybe in this case like a piece of sales following does that happen at all or on the larger scale but on the smaller scale I know I, I, I try to again, just there to I, help I, I try to help my community um, and, and most people end the conversation with I can't believe how publicly accessible you are I yeah mean, if you call my phone I'll answer it and you know chances are I mean you know with rates like you know $10,000 a day or $1,500 an hour, I usually explain to them, look, I'm here to give you an hour for free, mm. and I'll spend an hour on the phone with someone pretty much trying to talk them out of trying to pay me. Interesting. You like, know, you don't really need me. Is that well, kind well, of Yeah, the you don't need me, you're not there yet, but here's the direction you want to go. Got it. Wow. And then they come back to you and, yeah. and sometime later mm -hmm. and say, I mm -hmm. think I'm ready now? Sure. Interesting. Okay, but let's talk about some of the, the big clients that you have, whether mm -hmm. you want to name them mm -hmm. or not. I mean... Are they just like all fucked up or the grows all fucked up and you go in there and you fix it? Or are these really good people that sort of need like the next little bit of help? You know, is that? Uh, I've seen both. Yeah. You know, sometimes you can't fix broke. Yeah. If it's designed improperly or if it's infected with bugs and disease and things and management isn't running it properly and they're not producing good pro quality products and things and stuff, you, you just, there's only so much you can do, especially right. if they don't have the personal core values that they care about the product they produce and they, they strive to produce superior products for a superior price. 
Yeah. And that's where I usually come in is, is when someone's at a, at a certain plateau and wants to take it to the next level, if you will, be it specializing in, you know, efficiency and, and, and quality control and things like that, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And do you sometimes get there and take a look and say, you're too far gone. I don't know how I can help you, or is it always no, a case? No, I usually do my homework before I go into got the it. facility. Got you know? it. But you do turn people down because they're just not sophisticated enough. Or? Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, they just you know, I, I, it would feel disingenuous taking money from someone that's running a ten light grow. Got it. You know what I mean? I'd much rather you know, tell them how to get to that hundred light grow. Well, call me when you got the hundred light grow. Got it. But but I'll consult. I they'll call me they can call me three, four, five times. Yeah. And hey, what how do I deal with the humidity yeah. issues? How do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? And you'll tell them. I'll tell them. I love helping people. Yeah, that stems just it, from it's, your it's, love it, of of the for botany. Love of the right? plant of the and wanting to see yeah. Yeah, and wanting to see everybody do good and, and help those that have the genuine enthusiasm to learn, you know. So I think that's an incredible balance because so many people in this industry are divided. There are sort of the, the old school cannabis people that are all about the community, right, and all about the plant and all of those things. And then there are sort of new school folks that are probably a little too much in it for the profit, right? Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing for you mm -hmm. is that you're giving back a lot to that to that community, but then you're also charging $1,500 an hour at, at the high end when they can afford you when they're ready, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a pretty big hourly, hourly wage. How, how did you arrive at, at sort of that number? So. It's not really a big hourly wage. No? No. Uh, let's say that I'm one of the top 20 in the world in my field. Mm, I challenge you to go hire one of the top 20 lawyers in the world. Yeah. Well, they certainly would be maybe 800 or or $1,000 an hour, right? No? No. Okay. No. There's, yeah. Yeah. All right. D depending cool. on what you're dealing with, they're much more expensive than that. Yeah. And are, are you just overrun with work? I mean, is it like, uh, is there more than you can handle? Not so much. Uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the market that I'm dealing with is a large-scale 75-acre greenhouse guy, and he really hasn't come into the market yet. Okay. Um, for instance, uh, just to apply for a license in um, Florida, they demanded that you have 30 years of continuous greenhouse operation. Hmm. Nobody in the cannabis industry has that. Hmm. That, that That's large-scale producers. That yeah. magazine right there, Cannabis Business Times, yeah. comes from GIE Media you can hold Group. it up a little bit here. GIE Media Group has been in existence for over 20 years, and they, they sure. have published greenhouse management, garden center management, and nursery management. And they specialize in huge, large-scale cultivation, yep. you know, and, and fruits and, 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 and vegetables. Do you have concerns? I always worry, right, when we get to that big level, like industrial-grade grow, do we lose any quality here? I mean, is there something to be said for sort of the smaller craft grows? There is, and that's an article I just wrote for the magazine that'll be in the set. That's the premier issue. The yeah. second issue comes out soon, and that was oh, uh, nice. That was an amazing question. Though. Uh -huh. Just like well, set you the up. segue. <laughs> 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 so, so you know, basically, the article I wrote is is you know the efficiency and the cost of production is is the gist of the story. But you know, th then it goes on to to, to break down that there's going to be a two tier two tier system, if you will. There's going to be a large scale brewery. Pick a name. And they're going to produce the pharmaceutical grade pharmaceutical grade products that are going to go in those products that you just talked about, Rite yep. Aid, well, you know, and Thrifties and all those, and they're going to mass produce those cannabinoids and terpenoids for that market. But then go back, there's going to be, um, say, a second tier market that's going to be your French Laundry or your Chez Panisse that produce really good quality craft brewery type 
products, if you will. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be the big brewery, the craft brewery, and and based on the price of high-end liquor, if you wanted to go buy a bottle of Louis, um, sure. you know, cognac, you're going to pay $1,700 a bottle. People always want to brag about buying the best products. Yep. And spending the most money for them. So mm. there's going to be a two-tier system and things. So, But that's, you know, something that I really look forward to because that means the people that I've seen in this industry, some of them third and fourth generation growers that have strived to produce superior products and bred the strains we know and love today and all the people that did it for all the right reasons are, are hopefully going to survive. The people that did it for money have a, you know, high cost of production and just thought it was a, a green rush and a money grab. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think they're going to be swallowed up by that. Um, big multinational corporation yeah. and they're going to go away because the quick, cheap money isn't going to be available. But that might be how they want it too, right? To, to get absorbed and, and have a nice exit. It's not a terrible outcome. No, most of them have a too high of a cost of production, so they'll never pay that back their investors. They're actually mm, two steps away from homelessness and, and when the bills come to bear, they're not going to stay in business. Okay. All right, fair enough. Yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, recent regulation in 266. Did we get it right? Hmm. Right now I can take eight ounces and go to San Francisco Airport or Oakland Airport and board a plane and fly to anywhere in the United States. Um, I can keep eight ounces on my person. Mm, I believe that's the Sean Parker law. Do tell. Um, Bill? Yeah. Well, well, at that point, you can carry what? I think it's one ounce and seven grams of hashish on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a step forward, but it's also a step back. Mm. So, I mean, I'm sure that will suss itself out later. But, you know, you've just made a lot of criminals again. Mm. I mean, most of the people I know have more than one ounce on their person, that's mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. and, and certainly more than seven grams of hashish. You care, carry more than an ounce Consistently, is it, or or people you know carry. No, they have it in their house. They have it in their house. Or, 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 or they have to transport it, or this, that, the other thing. You know, oh. I mean, of one decent plant produces more than. Yeah, and and how about the the regulation that now allows dispensaries collectives to turn a profit? I mean, have we opened up a world that is uh, uh, going to be too for profit? Right? Do you do you anticipate bad actors coming to the space just to just try to make a lot of money? Yeah, but. Um, whether or not they survive, again, are you doing the right things for the right reasons? Do yeah. you have a low cost of production? Are you passing those, you know, uh, I explained to people that, you know, the, the, the facility I, I uh, consulted for in Israel produced marijuana for 50 cents a gram. I have a very good mentor that produces tomatoes for North America, if you will. They're one of the largest tomato producers in North America, and I can only assume in a 75-acre greenhouse done eco-friendly, zero waste, that I can produce cannabis for 25 cents a gram, and I'm sure much, much less expensive than that. And not cheap cannabis, good quality yeah. cannabis, mm -hmm. because you're doing it at the height of efficiency. Therefore, oh. you can create a proactive situation, not a reactive situation, and, and a lot of care and attention to detail to the product you're producing. And when you say the, the highest quality cannabis, what does that mean to you? Hmm. It means products that the customer want, and they're proud to buy, and 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 brag to their friends that they buy. Mm -hmm. So it's totally based on market reaction to the product. Mm -hmm. The end consumer. It, Does yeah. the end consumer like your product? But there's no particular 
Um, I guess this is more of a personal question, but you know, uh, is there a strain that you preference? Are you a sativa or indica dominant fan, or or all cannabis is beautiful and, and has its place? All cannabis is beautiful and has its place. Okay, all right. Especially since you know the science has just begun. I mean, there's you know a land race that exists somewhere in the world that nobody's ever touched or anything else that uh -huh. it's got beneficial compounds in it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, the, 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 the real work is just beginning. I mean, you know, to, to, to be able to consume it as a consumer and say you like the taste of it, you like the effect of it, or this, that, and the other thing. I mean, I really have a desire to know what the chemical composition is. Why know? is it well, affecting you? You know, you're telling way, me yeah. that there's a difference between sativas and indicas because it makes you feel that way. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you that's a different variation of chemicals is what it is. Mm. You know, I think a, a higher level of this, a lower level of that, all those effects can be recreated just by recombining the cannabinoids and terpenoids in the way that you desire. Yeah. Let's talk about the differences a little bit because I think people have a far too simplistic view mm -hmm. of indica versus sativa, right? And in on, in by my own anecdotal just evidence, uh, they don't always play the same way, right? So if I wake up in the morning and say I'm particularly tired mm -hmm. and, and I smoke a little bit of indica, sometimes it can give me a little energy, right? It's almost like a, sure. a painkiller. It dulls the, the sort of tired in my brain, right? But this is very contrary to what indica is supposed to do to you, right? I mean, why, yeah. How does that work? A little bit of a contradiction there. It's, it's just, uh, you, know, um, you know, early in the industry we, we, we formed opinions. And you know, the the line got 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 blurred when you started getting into hybrids. So there's indica sativa, but even that's up for debate right now. If you ask Robert Connell Clark, you know, are they one? Are they the same? Different variations of. So we're still learning, mm -hmm. you know. Um, um, but yeah, so when you got into the hybrid situation, you're getting the best of both worlds. But also, you started you know fractionating those effects and things mm -hmm. and. But everybody's body chemistry is different, and, and, and again, whether you want to label it as an indica, a sativa, or a hybrid, I'm telling you, it's a chemical formulation that makes you feel the way you're feeling. Right. Yeah. So once we figure out, like, you know, what you're saying is, I felt energized, I felt this, I felt that, and it's like, oh, so you had a bunch of THCA, a bunch of beta carophyllene, you had a bunch of uh, limonene, a bunch of pinene, this, that, the other thing, and that's what made you feel uplifting, as opposed to, you know, maybe this other thing had a very high level of THC, a very low level of CBD, and that's why you were um, receiving more of a sedative effect. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's a, there's a couple of key strains that I sort of my go-to over and over mm -hmm, again, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of Green Crack. Always have been. Terrible name for a cannabis yeah, strain, yeah, uh, but do? love it. Do you know much about about that strain? Are you are you familiar? I'm exposed with it? to it. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Again, I like them all. And and is there something particular, or maybe you would have to do more analysis, but that specific about that strain or strains like that, mm -hmm. that is reason that I would like it so much for. Yes, uh, there's laboratories that have done extensive testing, meaning that they've, they, are, they are sampling for dispensaries, thousands and thousands of varieties. They're starting to come up with, for lack of a better term, algorithms, meaning that you know they've seen 2,000 samples of, of green crack, and 25% of them, the genetics profile showed that they weren't even green crack. Yeah, yeah. You know right. what I mean? But then when you get it into the green crack, then you can get into the profiles of them being, I see a similarity that it's got a high level of this or a low level of that. And then you're going to start dissecting them mm -hmm. and figuring out, oh, I like these two varieties. And the reason is, is because they both have a high level of beta carophyllene. Mm -hmm. 
beta carophyllene. What is that? And it's like, well, it's been shown to lower the stress level of, a, a, of mice in a laboratory setting by 80%. Mm. I mean, that's, that's an amazing compound to me. And that's only one of the hundreds available of it in cannabis. So, And when is that analysis going to be available to a consumer? When it's rescheduled and, and the members of the Research Institute of Pharmaceutical Sciences or the Cannabinoid Research Institute um, are able to do, you know, real uh, human studies. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you, you really can't get that information from the mouse. Got it. And in some ways you see your work today as a precursor to, That's to that? All I'm qualified to do is to figure out how to separate these co compounds into pharmaceutical grade. After that, I've got to pass the torch to them because I'm not really qualified to do any of those studies. Got it. And I mean, I think it's amazing. You're, you're almost completely self-taught, right? I mean, you've yes. talked about a, a little bit of mentorship from mm -hmm. Ed and, and others, but and you obviously read all of his books and et cetera. But well, to, 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 to back that up, it goes back much deeper than that. I'm, I'm a product of many men, and I state in the book that it goes back to you know, uh, a man named uh, Kenneth Goodson, and his uh, AKA was Thomas uh, King Fursad, and he started High Times Magazine. So then after that, it was like our dope connoisseur. It was Professor F. Ghani, it was Mel Frank, it was George Cervantes, it was Ed Rosenthal, it was Robert Connell Clark, David Watson. I mean, there was there was many individuals that I took, I read their stuff, mm -hmm. I, 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 I patterned. You were a student. You were a student. I was of a student of all of them. And that goes with Thomas Alexander that had a magazine called Can uh, Sensimilia Tips. I mean, I'm a product of 20, 20 incredible great men that I still idolize today. Mm. And so literally I stand on the shoulders of all of them and I'm just a product of all of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a, a great individual, I'm a great student. And, but you are a, a, a player in this space uh, in your own right, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just a student. I mean, as you look back at your time in cannabis, it, it, do you have a legacy here? Is there something that you uh, you made an imprint on solely, uniquely? Uh, terpene isolation and a mm -hmm. bunch of other things, but to clarify, I am still a student. Those, those individuals are still productive, they're still participating, and I still learn from them every day. Yep. I've seen Robert Cronell Clark two days ago, yep. and the man is still going back, trying to figure out is indica, is sativa a separate thing, the same thing? I mean, we're still at the, the, the ground floor of this. And so, you know, um, he's got 30 years of experience that I can pull from. So mm -hmm. yes, I'm still a student. Isn't it cool that you get to hang out with your, your idols? Oh, it's amazing, I it's mean, amazing, wow. it's amazing. Uh, one of, you know, to, to, to be able to stand there next to Robert Connell Clark and have him ask me to sign a book to him that I wrote was just a dream. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last little portion of this, I just kind of want to maybe give viewers a couple tips, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when you pick up a bag of cannabis, when you, when you open up the jar, uh, what are the things that, that you look for, that, that you smell for to decide uh, the quality of, of this cannabis? Well, first of all, a desirable smell. I mean, yeah. if someone hasn't dried and cured it properly, it'll smell like hay or cat urine or yeah. who knows what, you know? So is it is a pleasant smell. and. Even then, is it a pleasant smell to you? Maybe I give it to, maybe you pull out your favorite and I don't like it, and I call that a blue cheese effect. Um, you know, you, you, <laughs> when, when you judge these competitions, you- I never like the cheeses, honestly. No, I don't like blue cheese. I'll be very well, upset if I don't you like blue cheese, but I also don't like, you know, the, the oh, cheese the, the cannabis, cannabis strains. Oh, I Very distinctly, which oh, is interesting. I, I like them. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that's the whole thing, and that's why judging and scoring is, is so difficult because maybe uh, you p 
I so pull, I, pu I pull right? out a blue cheese strain, not to cheese, and I smoke it, and I like it. But you don't, so there, there, there is why you want to, you know, have multiple judges. And are you capable at this point of being unbiased? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I care about the industry so much, so I do judge competitions, and even if you put the name of the manufacturer on each and every one. I, I can honestly tell you I would judge that competition completely unbiased because it would serve no purpose to me, my friend, or the industry yeah. to have an undeserving individual win. Got it. So when you look at it from an unbiased lens, you mentioned the fragrance, right? That mm. it, that is pleasant. Sure. Uh, and then what's the next thing? I mean, visually, what what are you looking for? Uh, how is it dried? How is it cured? Has it been over dried? Is it crispy? Is it you know? Yeah. Explode in your hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot. Some of the the the, the large-scale production facilities in, in Arizona or Colorado that I see mm, don't really have the art of drying and curing their cannabis properly. Mm -hmm. So they'll either over-dry it, and uh, to over-dry it is, is to forsake the, the, the terpenoids, so you're going to lower the flavor and smell and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's to the detriment, or you know, heaven forbid they go in there and harvest and end up putting um, the marijuana they harvested on Friday with the marijuana they harvested on Monday. Mm -hmm which now imparts the flavors and smells mm. from Mondays to Fridays and back and forth mm. and things. And you're never gonna get a proper dry, a proper cure that way, so. And I always seem to have a preference for dense buds. I don't know exactly why that is, but that, that seems like a preference to me. Does that have a quality one way or the other, the, the density? No, uh, you know, the, these, are, these are things that we've learned from buying off the shelf. You know, the, the tightest, most dense buds have the, the most yeah. flavor and things, but you know, it's been proven that lighter, airier landry strains have, uh, you know, more essential oils on them in, in some respect because the, 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 the flower is more open, gets yeah. more sunlight, more UVB exposure. Mm -hmm. I've never seen the proof on this, but I've seen, you know, there's a reason people mm, romanticize the old 70s varieties and land race varieties from all over the world. Right. You know. Yeah, I, I seem to uh, have a preference for indoor as well, mm -hmm. it seems. Uh, where where do you land on that? I mean, indoor, outdoor. Now you're doing the greenhouse kind of stuff, which is kind of the best of both worlds, right? Is that well, is that true? A greenhouse has the lowest cost of production, yeah, and that's okay. where it's going to end up going in the end. Uh, okay. As the mass production of cannabis continues in the United States and the world, you see the price falling, 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 falling. Um, a very very incredible study was was uh, performed at UC Berkeley on their off time, so it wasn't like the university performed the study, but one of their doctors performed a study, and I think he came up with the uh, number of 1%, I wanna say two, but I think it was 1% of the United States's power goes to produce indoor marijuana, mm -hmm. and I have to ask myself, do I want a man in middle America and Tennessee digging coal to produce my marijuana? Mm -hmm. Not really, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So, and, uh, because I read the parent magazine of Cannabis Business Times, which is nursery management, five, eight years ago, I found out about a man named Casey Howling, who runs Howling Tomatoes. Uh, the individual that I mentioned earlier, he produces tomatoes in Canada and Utah and Camarilla, California, and he does this zero waste and, and is one of the most efficient producers that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I called him on the phone and asked if I could come tour his greenhouses, and he invited me down. and. He took me through a tour and he showed me how real world production is performed. And, you know, it's all about the cost of production without compromising quality and stuff. And again, zero waste, meaning he has a very small carbon footprint. He reuses every bit of water, it goes to a settlement pond. From the settlement pond, he puts his 
uh, has um, solar cells on top of it to minimize evaporation. The water goes from there to, to, to RO filtration, RO filtration to UV sterilization, gets reused. IBM computers grade, size, sort his tomatoes, everything else. Very little human wow. interaction, yeah. which frees up the humans to, to go do quality control and, mm. and put their hands on plants. Mm, mm. So, so I learned about real world protection or production from, from him. Yeah. So. Yeah, let's talk about machines and, and robots a little bit. It's a fascinating mm -hmm. subject. I mean, is that where this is headed? I mean, is cannabis going to be grown by, by machines? Not grown by machines, no. It'll be monitored by machines, environmental controls, dosing of nutrients and things and stuff. But, you know, um, you're never going to get a robot to, to hand trim your marijuana. No, never? You know what I mean? I, I just don't see the day. It'll be a very expensive okay. piece of equipment. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and again, people don't want that. It touches too many surfaces. And, and compromises the quality of the cannabis. I see in the future only 10% of the cannabis produced by any facility is gonna be hand trimmed for the shelf. The other 90% are gonna be ripened up. Uh, the essential oils are gonna be ripened up. So therefore you'll get a 25% increase in essential oils of that product. Mm. Therefore with four crops, you can eliminate the fifth crop per year, be it 25, 25, 25, 25, four crop rotation. You've just got the same amount of essential oils or desirable compounds, be it cannabinoids and terpenoids, and eliminated one cycle. That'll save you a million dollars a year. You didn't dry, you didn't cure, and you didn't hand trim 90% of your product. One of my clients at 400 pounds a month spends between 100 and $140,000 per month hand trimming marijuana. Wow. So if you can eliminate that cost, obviously there's another million in your bank. Yeah. So what are you going to do with the other nine? And that doesn't even have to be hand trimmed because it's going to go into it's, concentrates or other... It's going to get fresh frozen. Anything that doesn't have cannabinoids is taken off the stem, if you will, off, eliminated. The rest of it is fresh frozen. That goes to be extracted. Mm. Mm. And therefore, you've preserved the highest level of terpenes because just to, to the act of drying the plant, you can lose like 40 to 60 percent of the terpenoids oh, wow. available on the plant. Oh, wow. Very so, so now you've preserved all your terpenoids. You've got it in the most desirable form when you concentrate it that can be turned into multiple things, fractionated, separated, you know. And where do you see the, the future of concentrates? I mean, is that uh, predominantly what consumers are, are going to smoke in, yes. in the future? Yes. I Unequivocally. Mean, well, 40 per 60 percent of the legal sales, or even sales in California. I mean, it's, it's illegal to manufacture concentrates in the state of California, but I believe probably 35 percent of the tax revenue that the state is taking in comes from concentrates. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, some, some dispensaries specialize in flowers, if you will. Others specialize in concentrates. So uh, based on my market analysis uh, from Washington State, Arizona, Colorado and California, it's between 40 and 60% of the sales, mm. given the focus mm. of your dispensary. Mm -hmm. So in the future, yes, yeah. it's very convenient. Well, it's, it's clearly a lot more efficient, right? Mm -hmm. It's convenient. Mm -hmm. uh, you are inhaling less uh, smoke into your lungs in some cases. You've isolated the desirable compounds and eliminated the undesirable compounds, yeah. which is better for you, healthy, health aspect-wise, Th everything else. There's a lot of pros, mm -hmm. but I have to say I really like flowers. Right, I, I really mm -hmm. do like mm -hmm. flowers. Do you agree there's a certain sentimental, we talked a little bit before about reading physical books, sure. right? Sure, and sure, and sure, sure, sure. how as opposed to a, an e-reader, right? I mean, uh, is it similar for you? Uh, yeah, I, I you know go to a lot of competitions and run across a lot of the youth that say, I don't smoke raw product or flowers anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a certain segment of the population that will always 
smoke flowers. So therefore, 10% of the top quality product produced in the world will always go to flowers. Mm. Mm. And well, I, 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 I can, I, you know, but you know, you, you've, they've got a different profile, a different mm, flavor component. Once the flavor components, be it the terpenes, are put back into those concentrates, be it CO2 extracts, then y you'll see a lot more people just consuming the extracts mm. in, in, in that form mm. because they've got the full flavor again. You know, got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, this has been incredible, Ken. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Really, really, really had a good time. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, you're very humble and you call yourself a student, but you really are a legend in this industry that I would I would put you in the same sentence as Ed Rosenthal and, and the rest of them, Debbie Goldsberry included. Uh, so thank you again. Anything you want to plug here? We, we've talked about your book a little bit, but uh, you're on Facebook, right? Yeah. Trichrome Technologies. Trichrome Technologies Facebook. In Instagram, Trichrome Technologies. That's correct. Very cool. You have an email. You want to give your email to anybody? No, else? I'm okay with that. Cool. You probably get plenty of emails. Good stuff. Well, uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere content is consumed. Cannabis Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Big push on Mass Roots. You should check us out there. Investing in Cannabis TV. It's been fun, guys. Thanks for watching as always, and we will see you next time.